All right, book of Hebrews, uh, and I agree with this, most scholars have said it appears to be a, a sermon that has been written down. And so the, the ideas and concepts in it appear very much like Paul, but the words and the phrases and the style resembles more like that of Luke. I love the book of Hebrews. And one of the reasons is, I'm going to show you tonight, is there's a, an exposition here, a, a part of a sermon where I keep, every time I read through Hebrews, I try to draw some, in, some, some from it a better way of preaching and teaching. And so Hebrews has taught me a way of preaching that keeps me a lot of times out of trouble. A way to keep yourself out of trouble from preaching is to take your opinions and put them aside and start with God's Word and draw out from it. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight from Hebrews chapter 3. For our introduction, so our main text is going to be Hebrews 3, 7 through 11, which is a quote from Psalm 95, 7 through 11 that David wrote. And David there has a psalm taking from the lesson of what happened in Numbers 20. So I'm doing a sermon on a sermon on a lesson based on Numbers 20, okay? So it's like, uh, it's like a Russian nesting doll, so I guess you could say. Or you might describe it like uh, the movie Inception. It's like a dream within a dream within a dream, okay? So what I want to look at tonight is the lesson that is drawn out here from the author of Hebrews, because he takes Psalm 95 and he, he makes observations and he draws from it and makes applications from it from this text for us to be applying as Christians. So as we're going through this, I would encourage you to look at it as this is a way that I can personally study the Bible. I have an example here of how I can prepare a Bible study for myself or when I'm teaching and instructing someone else. On top of that, there's the actual message and lesson that's in Hebrews uh, chapter 3 and going into chapter 4. And I could, I guess... Well, I don't know if I have the ability to do the all of Hebrews, of course. Uh, I imagine if we sat and read through Hebrews, it'd be about, what, 45 minutes to an hour for all 13 chapters to be, to be preached. So that just tells you something, that biblical sermons were kind of long, all right? And uh, I'll try to keep mine short. But here we go, Hebrews chapter 3. And if you look at the verses 1 through 6, you have an introduction here to the passage about which he's about to talk about. And so we've got a shift here. Hebrews 1 is about the glory and the preeminence of Jesus Christ, that all things were created through him. And then the writer of Hebrews gives a list of seven scriptures. And I think that's a great way to start a sermon. He gives a list of seven scriptures, and he's applying one to the other. And some might break it down into eight different specific passages. So you see that there, just showing that, again, in those passages that Christ is God and that he is greater than the angels. And then when you go to Hebrews chapter 2, again, you see the glory of Jesus Christ and how he is the founder of our salvation. And we also see, getting into the beginning of Hebrews chapter 3, that Jesus is greater than Moses. Here's Hebrews 3 and verse 1. So the author begins, he says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now you're getting a lot of the book of Hebrews today. One thing I mentioned this morning that jumps out in the book of Hebrews is the mention of our confession our confession of which we hold to. 
Uh, what we claim, what we believe in, and what we trust in, because that word is going to come up again, the confession of our hope. So it gives a good introduction there. And it gives a declaration of encouragement to the congregation. Let's hold to our confession of the faith. And then he, he, he again explains that Christ is counted more worthy than Moses. He says here, he says, listen, Moses was a servant in God's house. He's a servant in God's house. But Christ is over God's house. And then look at verse 6, Hebrews 3 and verse 6. Who is God's house? Well, we are. I mean, we've heard this before. Um, I did a message um, a week ago from Ephesians chapter 2 that talks about how the church is God's house and Christ is the head of the body of the church. So you've got a very similar message here. And then look at Hebrews 3 and verse 6. We are God's house. And look at this. It's contingent. Am I a part of the church? Am I always a part of the church? Well, it comes down to this. He says, if. It's contingent. It's conditional. If, indeed, we hold fast our confession and our boasting and our hope, so that eternal hope of, a, of eternal life and of the resurrection, if we hold our confession, that we confess faith that Jesus is Lord, that He rose from the dead, that we believe in the power of His resurrection, that we boast in Jesus Christ, that's the basis of our hope. So this right here is the introduction to the study. And what, is the, what does He do now? Now He's going to quote from Psalm 95, 7-11. And I like how that this... Lines up the verses line up here in Hebrews three, seven through eleven, and uh, as you start to look at that, look at the verse, verse, first verse right there, verse seven. So he quotes scripture and then he's going to take observations from it. That's what I'm going to do now. All right. So verse seven. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, as the Holy Spirit says. So when he said that, he then gave a great prophecy. Well, he did, but he was reading scripture, and this is twice in the book of Hebrews that you have an example of. The writer saying, the Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes Scripture. Because God's Holy Spirit speaks through us, through the Bible, through the Scriptures. So let's read it. He says, today, if you hear His voice, it's God's voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. And as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now the writer of Hebrews never hides the wrath of God. We saw that this morning. We went through Hebrews chapter 10. You, don't, you can't miss it. The wrath of God is apparent and clear. And so he reads this passage here from Psalm 95, a statement from David, and giving credit again to the Holy Spirit and makes application from it. And then, so this, this passage I've been sharing the last two weeks with you is Hebrews chapter 3, 12, and 13. But if you notice this, he starts making observations. He takes this text and he starts re-quoting it. And if you have a translation like mine is, I can go through there and say, okay, now he's quoting from the first verse. He's quoting from verse 7 from Psalm 95 and part of verse 8. And then I can see where... He's quoting from verse 11, and he continues to go through there and make application. Uh, he also quotes from the middle of the text. So he's bringing out each part of these scriptures and helping us to make greater observation. observation. And as he does it, he makes application as well. All right, so here's, here's what, what I see, generally speaking. 
uh, the lessons he pulls out. So in chapter 3, verses 12 and 15, he says, Take care that there not be in you an evil and unbelieving heart, that you fall away from the living God. Okay, remember that passage? We've read it a lot. And so he makes that emphasis there. And he says, You look at these Israelites. So again, this is the Hebrew writer using Psalm 95 where David reflects upon the rebellion in the wilderness, specifically at Meribah. Do you remember what happened in Meribah in Numbers chapter 20? That's where the people, again, what are the Israelites always doing to Moses? They're complaining and grumbling. They're grumbling. We need water. Why do we come out of Egypt and we have our our livestock and we're just going to thirst to death here? And so God tells Moses with Aaron, He says, go over and I want you to speak to the rock for the water to come out. That's the waters of Meribah, okay? So there's going to be a spring of water that comes out. And this is interesting because what does Moses do there? This is the one time where Moses sins. This is the one time when the Bible says that Moses will not be able to enter into the promised land because of the sin. And the stress here from, remember the context, the very beginning of Hebrews 3, is that Christ is greater than Moses. And as also is emphasized in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2 at the end and end of chapter 4, is that Jesus is without sin. And here Moses, this is the context in which he sins. So that, that's a part of the background here. You remember um, Moses, instead of speaking to the rock, he strikes it and the water comes forth. And God still provided. So in the application here, this rebellion the writer, uh, Hebrew, the author of Hebrews is saying, don't be like them. Learn from the examples in the Old Testament. Don't be the grumbling and complaining people. Don't be the rebellious people. Don't be the people who rebel in such a way as we read about right here that their hearts went astray from God. And when their hearts were separated from God, they no longer wanted to know anything about Him. They didn't want to know about His ways. They didn't know, want to know about His teaching. So we examine ourselves. Is my heart right with God? You know, a lot of times we might want to puff ourselves up and say, well, I'm a good person and I do good things and I love other people, but am I doing it for God's glory? Am I doing it for Him? What what am I living for? Where is my heart at? Am I following the ways of God? All right. And then another thing is drawn out here. If you go down a little bit further, verses 16 and 17, he makes another observation from the passage he read. He says, those who heard God's commands and rebelled were those who sinned, and they were the ones that died in the wilderness. They had consequences for their actions. We see that. We see that when we rebel against God and we commit sins, there's consequences for that. There are natural consequences for the things that we do. And sometimes, those, sometimes we feel like we might do something to get away with it. You don't really get away with it. There's always consequences. And even if you do get away from, with it, there's a darkening of the heart there where it's like, well, I can do it again. And so you, you might reason that way. All right, another thing he points out, he makes another observation from the text in chapters 3, 18 through 19. Chapter 3, 18 and through 19, the last two verses there. That those who are disobedient, they're, they're disobedient because of unbelief. In other words, he gets right down to the point of it. When you're sinning, you're rebelling against God. And you're rebelling against God in that sin. And when you're doing that, it's because you didn't put what what you heard, God's Word, and unite it with belief. And he says it's because of their unbelief and their disobedience that they went 40 years in the wilderness and could never enter the promised land. That message is still for us. We can wander around in the wilderness, saying we're the people of God, but never obeying His words and never enter into the rest. And that's exactly what's being taught here. And 
in the context here, the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, I don't want y'all going astray. You know what the people in the wilderness did. In the presence of Moses, the greatest prophet of all Israel, and they lived with him and walked and gathered with him through 40 years in the wilderness. They saw great miracles as they were delivered and they were in, the, in, in the exodus from Egypt. They saw these, the, the works of God, but they still were in rebellion. They didn't, and it says here in the text, the main point is, is that the word that they heard, they didn't unite it with faith. And if you look, at, you look back over your life, I've done this. You look over your life and you look at places where you sinned, where you stumbled, when you gave in to certain things. For, for me, my observation is I was disobedient. Even though I heard the word, I hadn't put faith in God behind it. I didn't put my trust in God behind it. Okay? I, I didn't say that, okay, God, your order and your way is far better than anything that I want and I covet. Instead, I thought, well, I deserve this, or I want this, or uh, you know, I should have a right to this. And then I start justifying it, and I start, even though I heard God's, I wasn't putting my faith behind it. And when I'm not doing that, I allow sin into my life, and there's this threat, that looming warning that we read throughout the book of Hebrews of God's wrath, of a fiery um, judgment to come if I um, am in constant rebellion against Him. All right, so you get into chapter 4, and, well, the author of Hebrews is not done drawing from this passage about the rebellion that went on with the Israelites. And from Psalm 95, he's continuing to pull out points from it. And in Hebrews 4, verse 1, we read this. Therefore, while the promise of entering the rest still stands, let us, um, let us fear lest any of us should seem to have failed to reach it. So there's this good fear that comes along with the Christian faith. And fear... You know, the Bible says, when we think about Jesus, Jesus says, don't fear who, him who could kill the body, but him who could cast body and soul into hell. Remember that passage? So, you know, I know 1 John says, love cast out all fear. So if you're living in a love relationship with God and you're walking in the light of his grace and all your sins are washed away, no, you have nothing to fear. But it's, it's just like my warnings to my children. In our neighborhood right now, they're looking at building a bridge and a new subdivision at the back. And the cars come around this curb and they're flying around and always concerned about that. And so I want my children to have a fear of coming out, walking out in the road. I want, uh, that's a good fear. Um, I remember my parents putting a fear to me when I first started learning to drive. See, driving's dangerous. People get killed. You need to learn how to do it and do it the right way. That's a good fear. Uh, some might have exaggerated fears of certain things. You can think of things that people have phobias of, spiders and so forth. Um, I, I think about that. But some of those fears are good when it comes to the fearing dogs. You know, probably the most violent creatures in the United States that people are more injured from from anything else. Um, there's, a, there's a reasonable fear for certain animals. And so we know when we're driving or whatever context we are in a dangerous situation, that fear there is good. And so when we step outside of God's rest, when we step out of faith and from following Him, there should be a, good, there should be a fear there. If you're, if you're not faithful to His promise, but then it says here in the text, and this is what the writer of Hebrews emphasizes, he says, and they shall not enter the rest. Talking about the people of Israel won't enter the rest. But how is that applicable in David's day? Well, David says, his, the point from the Hebrew writer is that David is evidently saying that God still has a rest for his people. 
And that's the whole point here of Hebrews. He keeps going on. Hearing God's word, he says, hearing the good news does not benefit us. And look at verse 2, unless it's united with faith. Probably a key passage tonight, uh, right there, chapter 4 and verse 2, it stands out to me. He says, for good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. They heard the good news. They heard it, but it didn't benefit them. It wasn't useful. Why? Because they did not or they were not united by faith um, with those who listened. You've got to take what you hear and put real belief behind it. And then it takes action and life in obedience in your life. If you hear things, but you're still being disobedient, then you're not, your faith is not behind it. You're not really putting your trust in God. And you need to sit down and read the Scriptures and pray about it and prayfully go through that passage and think, what am I missing here? Why am I not trusting God in this area? Go a little bit further. Another point that he pulls out is in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. And the writer says, he says, uh, and he's quoting from David again, as I swore in my wrath, what's the quote from David, I mean God exactly, through David, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then he goes on and says, there's a rest that remains, that the Lord rested on the seventh day. And that day in which he rested the Sabbath day, well, for Christians today, there is a Sabbath day's rest. Our Sabbath day's rest is not the first day of the week. It is eternal rest with God. And that's what Hebrews 4, 1 through, 1 through 10, 1 through 11 teaches us right there. So again, he pulls that out. There's a rest that remains. There's salvation that, that, that is there. So continue to follow God. Well, keep going. If you go down to Hebrews chapter 4, 6 through 7, we have another message. The author of Hebrews drawing out from this message, he says, clearly the rest remains. There is a rest for those who are faithful. So Hebrews 4, 6 and 7 says this, Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. You're not going to enter the rest living in disobedience to God. Verse 7, and again, he appoints a day today saying through David so long, says through David so long afterward in the words already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. What's he saying there? He's saying the reason that we're not obedient, the reason that we hear things and we don't actually believe in it has a hardening of the heart. There's a hardening of our heart when we're not obedient to God. We've turned it off. We've become callous. And so, there's a lot that we're learning right here. And this is how I learned to do my Bible studies. This is how I learned to draw from the Scriptures, because I read how the writer of Hebrews and the author does it. He takes sections of Scripture. If you go to Hebrews chapter 8, you'll see something similar. He quotes from Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, and then does a similar exposition. Draws out points there for about um, two other chapters into chapters 8 through 10, and brought and comes to the point of where the sermon was this morning about not forsaking the assembly. All right, there's another point that's here. Um, I think this is good. This is our, our good conclusion for us tonight at, on, on this part of the study. I do want to share with you another section of Hebrews before we finish. But come down to the end of, uh, well, not the end of, but close to it. Hebrews chapter 4, look at verse 11. Hebrews 4 and verse 11. An author says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Well, obedience is involved, 
and my faith being connected with God's command is involved, I have to strive for it. I have to reach for it. There's some effort from my heart for it. As a, as a Christian, I've got to unite what I hear about God's Word with faith, and then I've got to strive from my heart for it. And that produces obedience. He says, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Very true. And then look at the, the next verse. We're familiar with this Scripture. Look at verse 12. For the Word of God is what? It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. What's being said there? You know, I've quoted that verse a lot in my life. I've heard it quoted a lot. Like, Here's the power of God's Word. It is living and active. Amen. That's true. It is living and active. But what's he saying about the Word of God? He's saying the Word of God is able to make a division and of a discernment within you. That it will expose whether your heart is hardened or whether you really are taking what you're hearing and believing it and obeying it. The Word of God pierces you. It is a two-edged sword. It says to the division of soul, that is the life within you and the spirit, that is your mind, what separates from your body when you die. And some might say, well, that, what's the difference between the soul and the spirit? Soul and spirit here, again, the, the soul is your inner life, okay? And the spirit, again, would be your mind and who you are. So he says the Word of God is able to tell you the difference between who you are and then you know, maybe the desires and so forth you have in the flesh or the things that you want in this world. What else is going on here? He, he compares it to the sword. It's, so, it's like a scalpel here, making a division between joints and of marrow. He's making the example again to the sword. And notice this, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God exposes that. When we hear God's Word spoken, when we hear it read, when we read it, it should affect our hearts. And you'll know whether you have a hard heart or not because the living and active Word of God that, it, that pierces us will expose it and show that. It shows our true intentions. It shows what our real thoughts are. And then he adds a word at the end there. Remember, he says nobody's hidden. Nobody's hidden from God's sight. You're not going to escape His eyes. He knows everything that you do. You're exposed to Him. Everyone is naked before Him is what the Scripture says. And then all will give an account. So as I read this, I think that's a great sermon right there. That's what the writer of Hebrews did as he drew from the Scriptures. And I love the way that he preaches. And so I've taken it to heart to preach like that because that's not the only place you'll find that in the Bible. He's not the only writer that does this. You go to Romans, you're going to see Paul doing this. Romans chapter 3, he gives a list of Scriptures, starts making exposition upon it and drawing out from what the Bible has to say. That's not the only place. Christ does the same thing in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4, even though his message is quite brief there. And then the Sermon on the Mount is a list of three scriptures that Jesus then pulls from and preaches a message from. So we need to learn from these things and allow God's Word to be able to speak it, to teach it, and allow it to affect and change our hearts. So there's multiple lessons and applications here. And so I encourage you to take God's Word and unite it with faith, and it will produce obedience in you. And when you find that you're disobedient, check your heart. 
Examine yourself and look at where your weaknesses of faith are. What am I not trusting God in? What could be wrong? And I think that's very revealing. The writer of Hebrews goes on and he's talking to those that he's writing to and he says, you come to a point where you should be mature. He says, but you've become dull of hearing. Hebrews 5 and verse 11. He says, you've become dull of hearing. He says, by this time you should be teachers, but you need someone to teach you the basic principles of the Word of God. He says, by this time you should be eating solid food, but you're having to live off the milk like an infant. He says, the mature person can distinguish and determine and knows right from wrong. And he says there further, he says, the mature person knows about these teachings. He knows about repentance. If you read here, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, he knows about maturity. He knows about repentance from dead works, faith toward God, instructions about baptisms. He knows about what the meaning of laying on of hands is about. He knows about the resurrection of dead and eternal judgment. And then he says, we need to move on from those teachings. You should know them, you should understand them, and we need to move on to maturity from them. I hope these words tonight are an encouragement to you. There's a lot to draw from it, whatever you're coming from. You're struggling with unbelief and disobedience, the message is there. You're wondering how you can study the Bible better, the message is there. You're wondering, can I preach, can I teach, can I speak? And you can see right here an example of how to do that. It's right here in the scriptures, how to use God's living and active sword that he has given to us. I thank God for it. I encourage you tonight, if you have not been sprinkled with the blood of Christ and washed in the pure waters of, of Jesus, like we read about in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22, you can do that tonight, confessing your faith, repenting of your sins, being baptized. You need prayers, whatever your needs are. I encourage you to come right now. Let's sing together.